You know, I would love to have been with you in person, but when I was uh, small, my dad smoked about two packs a day, and the doctors told me years ago that 50% of my lung capacity was gone, and so I thought <coughs> there was a lot of uneasiness from a lot of counsel about me coming out there, and, and gang, I really would have done it anyway, but I really felt like I talked uh, with Neil, and uh, he said, I don't want to put you in that situation because I knew if I got it, <coughs> it's probably a death sentence for me. And so uh, thank you for letting me do it through a video, and I appreciate you guys and love you. So grateful for your leadership. Now, <coughs> I know the theme of your conference was passing it on, but I told Neil I wanted to deal first of all, with building a God-honoring life. Because if we want you to have something to pass on, and we know from 1 Thessalonians 2.8, Paul said, we were willing to impart to you not the gospel of God only, but our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. So it's important that you, you pass on your life as well as the gospel. And so I wanted to start with that because I think that's, that's very basic. And one of the things I want to say to you, if you can begin to get a seriousness about your life while you're in college, the tremendous importance of it. I know when I was about 18, God began to, when I was in college, I began to think, you know, how short my life is. When you think about, you know, if you live a normal life, uh, the Bible says uh, in Psalms 90, verse 10, 70 years are due to strength, 80 years. Maybe you live a little longer. I happen to be 83 at this time. But life is short. I'm amazed at how fast it's gotten by. Somebody asked Dr. Billy Graham, the great evangelist, said, anything about life that surprised you? He said, yeah, how fast it gets by. So you've got your notes there. Uh, I listed a lot of verses for you. I hope you will uh, memorize some of those. These are most of these that I've memorized somewhere along the line. But in Psalms 39, verse 4, it said, Lord, make me to know my end and the measure of my days that I may know how fleeting my life is. One translation said that I may know how frail I am. So, Lord, make me to know how fleeting my life is. Pray that God will make you a very, very time conscious so that you don't waste time. James 4.14, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, what is your life? It is even as a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. And sometimes you've seen a vapor on a cold morning or something, you can blow your breath. I remember Leroy Himes one time said, walk out some cold morning and just blow your breath on there, stand there and watch it, and in a second or so it's gone. And he says, that's what your life is like. <clears throat> in Psalm 90 verse 12, um, 90 verse 10, as I mentioned, maybe 70 years, maybe 80 years, maybe you'll live longer, but nobody's around that was here 100. And, like, I'm 83. I know one thing for dead sure. I don't have another 83 to go. Okay, so time will get by. In Psalm 90, verse 12, 
So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. So ask God to make you time conscious so that you can wisely live your life. <clears throat> and you know, not only is life, uh, life is short, but eternity is long. Now there's two illustrations here. One, you see a, a dot on this line. And you may have heard this before, but if I could take a marker, go out of this auditorium, start marking on the wall and go all the way around the world and come back and con connect that line, and you could put one little dot on that line, that's what your life is like compared to eternity. fact is, you could go around the world several times if you want to. Continue to go, your life is just as a split second compared to eternity. And it looks like we could be faithful for that brevity of time. You know, there's an old evangelist kept trying to think, how can I illustrate how long eternity is? And he had this idea one day. If he thought, if you could take a sparrow and take a steel ball the size of the earth and put that steel ball out in, out in space, and let's say that little sparrow could take a thousand years and he'd fly out to that steel ball and each time he gets there, he barely brushes the tip of his beak against that steel ball. He just brushes his beak, turns around, flies a thousand years back to earth. And he gets a good night's rest. Next year, next day he starts his thousand-year flight back to the steel ball. Barely brushes his beak against the steel ball. And he said by the time that sparrow had worn that steel ball down to the size of a grain of sand, eternity would only be beginning. You know, when we read of things like eternal life and everlasting, it doesn't make much of an impression on us. But, <clears throat> you know, the reason you go to heaven is because you believe in Jesus. But the rewards you have in heaven depend on the way you live after you become a Christian. And so it's very, very important for you. <clears throat> and I want you to see this because there may be some of you there. And if I were to ask you, <clears throat> if you were to die tonight, do you know for certain you'd go spend eternity with God? You're absolutely certain of that? Well, I want you to understand, you need to be sure where you stand. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that whosoever, it's not limited to the disciples, he made it very, very clear, whosoever believes on the name of the Son of God will be saved, will have eternal life. And John 6, 47 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me has everlasting life. So for the person who believes in Jesus, he's going to spend eternity with God. For the person who doesn't believe in Jesus, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9, <clears throat> says the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those that know not God and obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And so that's what's going to happen to those that do not believe in him. And you know, there's a story in, in Luke 16 about <clears throat> there was a certain rich man which were clothed in purple and fine linens, and he fared sumptuously every day. 
There's a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. More of the dogs came and licked his sore. Then it says, the beggar died and was carried by the angel to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and in hell. He lift up his eyes being in torment. And he could see Lazarus afar off and <coughs> uh, Abraham far off and Lazarus in the bosom. He said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he can dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in these flames. And he said, son, remember in a lifetime you received the good things. He received the bad things. Now the rich man didn't go to hell because, <coughs> you know, he was rich. And the poor man didn't go to heaven just because he's poor. But in this situation, Jesus tells a story. And he says, to the, besides that, there's a great gulf between us. Those that would go from us to you can't. Neither can you come to us that would come from thence. He said, oh, Father. The man in there said, oh, Father, send him to my father's house. I have five brothers, lest they come to this place of torment. He said, they are Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He said, nay, but Father Abraham, if one went in them from the dead, they'd believe. He said, if they don't believe Moses and the prophet, they wouldn't believe even if one rose from the dead. And so that's the condition of what happens when people die without Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes you've been sick, but you hope you'll get better. But when a man goes to hell, it never gets any better, and it's for all eternity. Now, everyone you know is going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. And you've got a brief time on this earth. We need to do every possible, everything possible to help people come to know Jesus. Now, I want you to know this. God doesn't want anybody to perish, okay? 1 Peter 2, 4. Who desires that all, all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth? 1 Timothy 2, 4. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any perish, but all men to come to repentance. Some people say, well, the Lord said he's going to come someday, but he hasn't come yet. Why? Because he's being patient, long-suffering, giving time that we can help more people come to know Jesus. You know, one of my latest verses I'm memorizing is Ezekiel 33, 11. Say, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, <clears throat> I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live turn back turn back from your evil ways rather why will you die O house of Israel now folks God does not take pleasure in the death of any wicked so let me just say this don't buy into Calvinism that God for his glory will send some people to hell for his glory forever God don't believe that and that's sweeping the country by the way, there's a passage over in Acts where he says, <coughs> uh, Acts, I guess it's 1426, somewhere along in there, if I remember correctly. Just reading that the other day, and I want to point out something to you. <coughs> well, that's not the passage right now. I'll, I'll get it later. But he talks about, and those who the elect believed, that word elect is a military term, C.A. Selinsky, 
He's a great Greek scholar, said, I mean, if you read it, it says, and those, those who were elect then believed. And that word elect is a military term. And if you read the context, it means stand in the proper line. And he's talking about the gospel went to the Jews and they rejected it. And now the next in line are the Gentiles. And, and if you study the context, it is so very clear. So when you read in, sometimes you'll read a verse and it'll make you think, oh, maybe God decided before we were ever born who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. No, God decided before you were ever born the means of salvation, the how of salvation. He was going to send Jesus. The who of salvation depends on who, those who accept him. And so it's important that a person come to the point where he accepts the Lord. So God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So start now while you're in college, living in the light of eternity. Start that while you're young. You know, Ecclesiastes 11.9 says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your But know thou that for all these things, God's going to bring you into judgment. Yeah, enjoy your life now, but realize someday you will face the Lord. In Ecclesiastes 12.1, remember your creator in the days of your youth. <clears throat> While the, so the evil days do not come, nor the years when you say, I have no pleasure in them. So right now, live in such a way that you'll always, in Lamentation 3.27 said, it is, it is good to bear the yoke in your youth. So get in the yoke with Jesus. In Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Jesus said, And do you who are weary rest with us? And he said, You know, come and get in the yoke with me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. So get in the yoke while you're young with Jesus. Hook up with Jesus and start living for him. And 2 Corinthians 5 10 tells us someday we're going to all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And in 1 Timothy 4.12, it's written, and Paul's writing to Timothy, he said, don't let anyone despise your youth. Literally, don't let anyone look down on you while you're young, but be an example of the believers. While you're young, you're supposed to be an example of the believers. In, in, wor in your word, in what you say, in your conversation, or literally your manner of life, in your spirit, in faith, in purity, all of these things, while you're young, try to live the most godly life you possibly can. Now, what does, what does determine your destiny? Your family doesn't, your good works don't, don't, your money, your career, your generous heart, your religious system, none of that will determine your destiny. What does? Faith in Jesus as God's Son, who alone can forgive our sins. You know, we know from Genesis 3, sin entered into the world. You know, the bad news, you see it in Romans 5, 12, by one man, it's talking about Adam, when he disobeyed God, by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin so passed upon all men for all that have sinned. That's the bad news, but seven verses later, you read the good news. For, for by the disobedience of the one, it's talking about Adam, many were made sinners. We're all made sinners as a result of Adam. But through the obedience of the one, Jesus Christ, him going to the death on the cross for us, we've all been made righteous. So that is the great news of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And you know, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, if you want a good, 
definition of the gospel, that's it. And, and Paul says, for I delivered unto you. And see, one of the things we're talking about passing something on, Paul had received the gospel. And he said, that which I received, I'm going to pass on you. That which, he said, I, that which I've received, he says, I'm going to pass on to you. And basically, he said, for I delivered unto you that which I also received. How that Jesus Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel, and that's what we need to be sharing. Now, God created us to have fellowship with him and to have fellowship with other Christians. And one of the first verses I like to share with a young Christian is 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. See, God wants your fellowship. He wants you to read his word. He wants you to pray. He wants you to do that on a daily basis. And then he wants you to have fellowship with other Christians. First John 1, 3, that which we have seen. Now notice, that which we've seen and heard, declare we unto you. You see that same thing in Acts 4, 20. We cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard. And here is First John 1, 3, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So we have fellowship with God. We're to have fellowship with each other. And all of that fellowship we have with God and with each other. And you know, fellowship is so important. That's why I love it. Like going to your meeting, hanging in with that, your retreats, your conferences, your, your time with staff, that fellowship where you're building each other up and helping each other to grow. That is so important and such a tremendous privilege. Now, God is loving but he's also just, and sin had to be paid for. You know, it's interesting, starting back in the Old Testament, Isaiah 45, 22, God says, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. There is one true God. Acts 10, 43, Of him all the prophets bear witness, of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. Now, isn't that interesting? If you go back and you look in all of the prophets, you're going to find different places where you find some of the gospel there. All of the prophets bear witness that through Jesus Christ, you receive forgiveness of sin. And, and John said, one day he saw Jesus coming, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So our only hope is Jesus Christ. I've recently memorized 1 John 3, 5. You know, he's talking about Jesus, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Why did Jesus come? To take away our sins. And you know John three sixteen, and and in John 3, 18, he that believeth is not condemned. Okay? Okay, so I remember Dr. R.G. Lee, a great old preacher, one time was on this plane. He was talking to the guy, witnessing to him, and he said, Oh, Dr. Lee, you talk like I'm going to be condemned someday. He said, Oh, I'm so sorry. My language is so puny. You are already condemned. 
And that verse says, he that believeth not is condemned already. So if you don't know Jesus Christ, you stand under the condemnation of God. And Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. So someday every person is going to stand before God and give account of his life. Now I want to say this. Some of you may be from Muslim backgrounds. You may be from Hindu backgrounds. You may be Buddhist backgrounds. You may be from a Christian background. I want you to know that there's no belief system that's going to save you from your sins. It's only Jesus Christ that saves you from your sin. So you might, some people say, well, what about the sincere Hindu? I have a dear doctor friend that's a Hindu. And by the way, if you have a Hindu friend and you want to read a, get a tremendous book for a Hindu, get the book, The Death of a Guru. It's a fantastic book, The Death of a Guru, of a young Hindu that became a Christian. So you know why it's not a matter of a philosophy or a belief system? Because none of those people were the Son of God, and none of them died on the cross for your sin. And so no belief system will save you. It's Jesus Christ. Your good works won't save you, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and Titus 3, 5 and 7 make that very, very clear. It's only belief in Jesus Christ. Now, it's not even enough to believe that there is one God. You know, James 2.19 says, you believe there is one God, you do well. The devils also believe that, and they tremble. Even the demons, and Satan believes there's one God. They don't have any doubt about that. They know that. There is one God. <clears throat> but that's not enough. It's only faith in Jesus Christ that will save you. <clears throat> and he died to pay the penalty for our sin. Acts 4.12, neither is our salvation in any other. No other name unto heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Now, I know many of you out there, you know these great truths, but I hope this will sink deep into your heart. Jesus Christ is the only way. Jesus said to a man at one time, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And Jesus said in John 8, 24, I say therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you don't believe that I am he, that is, I am the Messiah, I am the only way for you to be saved, he said, then you would die in your sin. So God's great promise to those who believe is eternal life. I love 1 John 2.25, and this is a promise that he has promised us even eternal life. And you know, many of you know 1 John 5, 11 through 13. This is a record that God has given to us eternal life. This life is in his son. He that has a son, he's talking about the son of God, has life. He that does not have the son of God does not have life. You can have eternal life without having Jesus. You can't have Jesus without having eternal life. And then he says, I've written these things to you that believe that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, this very clearly says you can know. I hope none of you will go away from this conference not knowing that you have eternal life because if you will believe in Jesus Christ, that he's the Son of God, that he died on the cross, and ask him, you believe in him, ask him to forgive you of your sins, come into your life, 
He promised he would do that. And so now I wanted us to get that clear. Now, once that's true, and I want you to see, there's no other adequate foundation on which you can build your life other than Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For other foundation can no man lay other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If you don't have a solid foundation, you're going to be in trouble. And by the way, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but you remember when God told Moses and in the land, and they didn't have water. And God said, strike the rock. And Moses struck the rock, and water came out. Later, God told him when they needed water, speak to the rock. And you know what Moses did? He struck it twice. And, he, and God says, you don't go into the promised land. Now, what was that all about? Well, I think it's very clear when you look at 1 Corinthians 10, 4. You know who that rock was? They all drank from the same rock, and that rock that followed them through the wilderness was Christ. Christ was struck once for our sins. He's not to be struck again. So the rock, we build our life on the rock. Matthew 7, 24 to 26. Therefore, Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine, now notice, he hears these words of mine and acts upon them. See, there's obedience, doing what he says. It's not just enough to read the Bible and go on your way. We're reading, we're trying to be obedient to what he said. He said, whoever, everyone who hears these words of mine, and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And we've seen the rock we need to build on is Jesus Christ. Because, guys, we're going to try to build a great life so we can pass it on and pass on the gospel. And so we're going to build on that solid rock of Jesus Christ. Okay? And he says everyone that does that, you build on that rock. And then he said the rain descended. And the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and it did not fall, because it was built on the rock. And he said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them is like the man who built his house upon the sand. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and great was its fall. Guys, build your life on Jesus Christ. The things of God, that's what lasts. And that's the only thing that lasts. You know, you see a quote here where it says, when storms come, you cannot go out and build. Last month, I was in Dallas, and I was talking to a guy, and he has a son that's very, Sam Hershey, very, very, crippled in a lot of ways and just very needy and so he has to spend a lot of time with his son and he said you know Max once the storms come you can't go out and build and see a lot of people aren't going to be ready when the storms come 
So right now, be building deeply in your life so someday when tragedy comes, it doesn't knock you off the race. And see, that happens to some people. But when that rain is pouring down, it's not the time you go out and build. It's too late. I mean, it's never too late to do what's right. But you need to be building now strongly while you can. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, some wonderful things happen. 1 Corinthians 2.12. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we may know the things which are freely given to us of God. Now notice, <clears throat> when you receive the Lord, you now, God has given you freely some things. And you need to know what some of those things are that God has provided for you now that you're a believer. John 1.16 says, For of his fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. You know one of the things you receive when you receive Christ? You receive all of him. You don't receive Jesus on the installment plan. You have the fullness of God in you when you become a Christian. And I think a lot of Christians go around living anemic lives like poor me, they don't have any idea what God has already given them. And so he's given us some wonderful things. I'm going to list a number of these things. One is our sins are forgiven, and that's all of them. You know, I already mentioned Acts 10, 43. Of him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. So if you believe in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. You confess them. God doesn't bring them up again. You know, it's interesting. You remember when Peter denied Jesus? And then he went out and wept bitterly. And after Jesus rose from the dead, he's out one day and he's cooking these fish. And Peter comes and he begins to talk to Peter. There's not one word about, Peter, you really messed up, didn't you? I mean, that is in the past. Peter has repented and God never brings it up. Isn't that interesting? When you confess your sin, God forgives you. I think of things that I've done in my life, and sometimes they come back to me. Well, God, I've already confessed that. And it's like God said, yeah, what are you talking about? That's gone. He said, it's, I separate your sin from, as far as the east is from the west. It's like it's buried in the deepest sea. And then he erects a sign, no fishing. In other words, don't go bring those things up again. They're over. You confess your sin. God is gracious to forgive you of your sin. So our sins are forgiven. Another tremendous thing, we have peace with God. Therefore, being justified by faith. See, you're made right with God by faith. You've trusted him. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's wonderful. Now you have peace. You know, and you see again and again in the scripture where he says, don't be afraid. Now, I know some of you, you'll be thinking about missions. And what about going to some place that maybe it's not real safe? Well, there may be times that God gives you wisdom that you shouldn't do a certain thing. But Jesus said in, in Luke 12, 4, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but after that have no more that they can do. I mean, if a guy kills y'all, 
He can't do any more. I mean, he can stomp on you, but it doesn't hurt. He said, don't be afraid of those who kill the body, but after that have no more they can do. I tell you who to fear. Fear the one who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. In other words, the only fear we ought to have is God. <clears throat> I remember one time before <clears throat> when I was out here, uh, Neil, you may not remember this, but I remember you, you shared with me Deuteronomy 13.4. I'd never memorized that verse. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him. You shall keep his commandments and listen to his voice, serve him and cling to him. And I just think, you know, the fear of God is a reverence of God that we need to have. But we're not fearful of what man can do to us. <clears throat> and then in Luke, uh, John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Don't be fearful. See, some people make decisions more on the basis of fear than they do faith. And we don't want to be those kinds of people, okay? John 16, 33, Jesus said, These things I've spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Yeah, you're going to have some problems in life, but Jesus said, I've overcome the world. Now you have peace. And so there ought to be something about us that is just very, very peaceful. You know, I heard reading something uh, recently in a book, and this guy was sitting on an airplane. And he gets up and goes to the bathroom, and the airline attendants are standing there, and they're talking. And as he comes up, he's waiting in line to get in the bathroom, and this attendant said, we were just talking about you. And he said, he didn't know him. I said, you know, we've just noticed about you. You're so different. You're so kind. You're so gracious. And he said, you know what I do every time I get on an airplane? I said, God, right around me, this is kingdom territory. And he's just gracious and kind, and people notice it. I thought, isn't that interesting? Just the peace that he had. Even the airline attendants noticed what a gracious guy he was. Now, number three, we are now to live our lives abiding in Christ. You know, Jesus said in John 15, 4, Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, no more can you unless you abide in me. Now, if we go out here, and let's say somebody has this beautiful peach orchard, and, man, I look out on one of those limbs, there's five or six beautiful peaches, and I said, man, he said, you can have those if you want to. Uh, well, thank you for the peaches, but I think I'll just break off. Would it be okay if I just break off the limb? Because I like to have peaches every year. Well, you break off that limb and take it home, and a few months later, all you got is a stick. That thing won't bear peaches. Why? Because it's not connected to the trunk. And the life comes up through the trunk out on the branches, they were familiar with, with graves and they talk about the vine and the branches. Jesus said, abide in me. That is, live trusting in me. Your life centered in me. He said, and I'm in you. He said, you can't bear fruit without me. And see, that's another thing we need to understand. Very, very clearly is who we are. In John 15, 5, he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. 
He that abides in me and I in him, the same will bring forth much fruit. Do you want to bring forth much fruit? You can if you'll live trusting, abiding in Jesus and letting his work. And he said in verse 7 then, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. You can ask whatever you will and it'll be done for you. In the next verse he said, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So God wants us to bear fruit. That's what glorifies him. And the source of that is Jesus. It's not you. It's Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, what? Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which you have a God? You are not your own. You're bought with a price. So Jesus purchased you on the cross. Now, you allow him to live his life in you every day, trusting him. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to him. <clears throat> now, we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting when Jesus was on earth, he talked about abiding in him. Now, he's gone to heaven. And Paul is talking about it in Ephesians. And he's talking about being filled with the Spirit. It's basically the same thing. What is the Spirit? And Jesus said when he left, I'm going to send you another comforter. There are two words for another. I could say I'm going to buy another car, and I could just mean another means of transportation, or it could mean another Chevrolet like I'm driving. The word Jesus uses, I'm going to send you another of the same kind. Another word is God. Here is the Holy Spirit that comes to live within us, <clears throat> and he's going to be with us forever. That's a promise. Uh, and so, this Ephesians 5.18, I used to think this is a strange verse. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. I thought those are so opposites, being drunk, being filled with the Spirit. Why are those in the same verse? And I remember when I was a kid one day, <clears throat> we were downtown, and there's a guy staggering down in the street. My dad said, he's full of, he's full of liquor. Well, see, liquor was controlling him, his action to what, and that's what he's talking about here. Let the Holy Spirit control you. What controls your life? Are you running it, or are you letting the Holy Spirit within you run? Now, there, there are four things here that are really worth considering, and I heard Dr. W.A. Crystal talking about this one time, and then recently I read a book that talked about this also. There, there are four things in Ephesians 5.18 from the Greek in which the Bible was originally written. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I can read what somebody did say that was one. And it says it's in that imperative mood, which means it's a command. God didn't say if you want to be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. You be filled with the Spirit. Now, God doesn't command you to do something but by his enabling grace, you can do. I mean, he doesn't tell us to do things that we can't do if we depend on him. So it's a command. You are to be filled. Not if you're a mission, just as if you're a missionary or if you're in full-time work. That's for every single believer. Because next thing, it's in the plural. It's all of you. Every one of you is to be filled with the Spirit. It's in the passive voice. If I say, I hit the ball, that's active. But the ball was hit by the bat. That's, that's passive. So it's not something you do. You don't fill yourself with the Spirit. 
but he does the filling, okay? It's passive voice. You allow him to fill you. Lord, here I am. I want you to take over my life. Fill me with your spirit. I want to be under your control. And then it's a, it's a continuous action verb. Really, it says basically this. Be you continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Again and again. Sometimes you'll run into charismatic thing. Well, if you're filled with the Spirit, you'll speak in tongues. Well, you see one situation like that in the New Testament, but a number of places in the New Testament, you see they were filled with the Spirit. There's, like in Acts 4.29, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke the word with God, boldness in Acts 4.31 then. You see that again and again. Filled with the Spirit, they spoke. Peter on the day of Pentecost, filled with the Spirit and spoke. And so <clears throat> being filled with the Spirit means you're just allowing God to control your life. Now, we have his, another thing, we have his promised leadership. He, in Psalm 32, 80, he said, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you will go. I will guide you with my eye upon you. So God's watching you. He said, I will instruct you. I'll teach you. I'll show you the way to go. And God is constantly watching us. In Psalm, in John 16, 13, and when he, the Spirit, Jesus said, when he, the Spirit, is truth has come, he's going to bring you into all knowledge. He's going to teach you the things that he wants you to know. And then you see in John, in Psalms 84, 14, I love this. For the Lord is our God and forever and ever, and he will be our guide even unto death. So I know God has promised, I'm going to lead you all the way till you die, okay? And so that's one of the things. God's promised to lead us. Now, sometimes we pray, and just like I know we've just had a situation today where a conference at Glen Erie had to be canceled, but you guys have prayed, and eventually God made it clear what happened. Now, you didn't know this yesterday. You didn't know it. But God knows everything. And so he will guide us, and he promised to lead us if we will let him. Now, another thing I want you to know, it's not this God's leading you and it's not very pleasant, but Psalm 1611 said, Thou will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know, a lot of people are looking for fun, pleasure, happiness. You know, happiness depends upon circumstances. You know, you're for your ball team winning, they win, you're happy. They lose, you're sad. So happiness depends on circumstance, but joy doesn't. Paul said, even though he was sorrowful for the world, it didn't. He said in 2 Corinthians 6:10, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. So that thing of joy is deep, it's abiding, you don't lose it over circumstances. And in, in John 15, 11, said, Jesus says, These things I've spoken unto me, you, that, that my joy might be in you, that your joy may be full. So God didn't want us to have this little bit of joy. He said, I'm going to give you full joy. You're going to have full life. You know, and I put a little thing here. Do you know the Christian life is the best life there is? It doesn't get any better than it. And I'm just here to tell you, I'm a little older than some of you, uh, all of you. 
I don't think there's a person who's hearing me that's old as I am. But I tell you what, the further you go with the Lord, the better it gets. I'm telling you, life is fantastic with the Lord. Does that mean we don't have some problems? Things? No, we have those. But the abundance of joy that the Lord wants to give us. Now, <clears throat> number seven. Jesus Christ purchases us with his blood. Now we belong to him. We've already talked about this. You belong to God. He purchased you. You're no longer yours, so you need to set out to glorify him. And 1 Corinthians 10, 31 said, Where you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You know, I'm thankful that even in little things we glorify God. Eating and drinking, that's pretty common in life. But we can glorify God. And so he is to be the Lord of all of our life. Now, we're going to stop at that point, And we'll come back here and do one more message for you and wind this up. And then we're going to go into passing it on. But I want you to have something as well as the gospel. You're going to pass on your life and be able to really disciple people. So our 45 minutes is gone, so we'll stop. I went a little long on the first one. But I've got a timer now, and I'll try to hang to 45 minutes, if that's okay. <laughs>